Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am Josh Bice, and we got a great cast for you tonight. We're going to be talking to one of the designers behind the game, John Wick Hex. An idea that sounds crazy on paper to take the kinetic action of the popular movie or action franchise and turn it into a kind of we-go strategy game. We are going to be talking about the design and implementation of that tonight. So please welcome from Bethel Games, Nick Tringali. Hello, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you on, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, been a relatively calm, relaxing day uh, in a, in our release week. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's been good. And- Yep, and for those of you listening to this right now, we are recording this on October 10th, so I think the game's been out for, has it been like two or three days? Uh, two days, yeah, two, it came out uh, Tuesday, and today's Thursday. Yep. And definitely congratulations on the release of it. Yeah, man, uh, we definitely have a lot to talk about. It's not every day where we have not only a movie tie-in game, but a movie tie-in game that just seems like a crazy combination of genres and designs. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's going to be a very interesting cast for sure. But to get things started, since this is your first time on, for people listening, Nick, can you talk a little bit about your background when it comes to the game industry? And then kind of give us what is John Wick Hex? Yeah, so my background is in um, 3D modeling, and so that's how uh, I sort of got my first paid jobs. But I also, um, in addition to doing doing that on a few little projects, I uh, self self coded and worked with you know some collaborators and self published a few games, and then eventually kind of started working with uh, Mike Bithel at Bithel Games and kind of you know worked sort of sort of kind of fell into doing like a lot more programming and design and ended up to being lead programmer and a co-designer on john wick hex <clears throat> and as a pitch for the game itself uh we bill it as a like fight choreography tactics game or a or a timeline strategy game to kind of you know invent new parlance if we wanted to <laughs> um and so yeah it's you know essentially like the action scenes from the movie we have tried to distill down into a into, into the language of a tactics game, um, and, and to I guess to like try and get from from one point to the other um, with with that sort of set of tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely like a very interesting combination of mechanics and the loop itself. For my audience listening right now, we have definitely played and seen our fair share of strategy games, tactical games, and all like the gambit of that kind of decision making and thought process. And like John Wick definitely occupies like a very like unique area of that. So I guess my first question for you is where did the original concept for the game come from? Well, we definitely wanted to do a tactics game uh, mm-hmm. from the jump, okay. and so when we were asked to pitch an idea to uh, to our publisher and the the movie studio, mm-hmm. uh, we were straight away were like, okay, we definitely want to do a tactics game because we think that there is enough like enough there we could explore. We're, we're not we didn't want to do a kind of third person action game or first person mm-hmm. shooter, and so the original idea. <laughs> which we made like a straightaway as like a pitch prototype uh, that Mike and I put together was essentially like one person XCOM, like XCOM without a squad. Mm. Uh, and it was really bad. <laughs> um, like it was like, if you just, if you, you can mentally just imagine why that would be bad. And it was bad for all of the, all of the reasons you can <laughs> think of, um, but it got the pitch. So it definitely worked to some extent. Um, and then, and then you know, there's stories out. Like Mike has told stories about going to the movie studio and pitching it and being told it was kind of weird. Um, and so, it, there was a, a chunk of time in between the pitch and then actually starting production. We were like, okay, let's not do turn based. Uh, and let's and we you know we had this idea to do 
uh, this timeline thing, or or at the very least, like it, it wasn't originally a timeline, but it was more like let's have this variable length actions and see where we end up with that. And, and so then the timeline kind of was created and developed to represent that to the player. And going back to what you just said about kind of like the original concept for John Wick Hex and wanting to like avoid the kind of like what would be considered like the, I guess, the generic uh, movie game tie-in for like that mm-hmm. kind of franchise. Yeah. Because that is something that I think is very fascinating because we and again, like my audience, I think includes a lot of older gamers. So we remember the days of old movie tie-ins and, you know, the horrors that involved in sure, terms of those yeah. franchises. And part of the reason for that was just kind of the fact that the movie property just wasn't designed to gel with the game mechanics and the game loop. Every, you know, movie-based game that came out from like 1987 to probably like the early thousands was a 2D or 3D platformer. With John Wick Hex, as you say, you're kind of describing the original pitch as one-man XCOM and that kind of tactical strategy layer. Were there, like, as you guys are, like, thinking about making a game based off the property, were there any other ideas that kind of were, like, floating around your heads? Or was this kind of tactical strategy, like, the first and, like, best, like, concept that you came up with? It was, yeah, not... It was basically the first and only concept mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah, we we knew like the size of team we wanted to work with, and you know, obviously there are you know budgets involved mm-hmm. uh, and that, that sort of thing. But yeah, it was it was basically from the jump. We'd really never considered doing anything else, and it was going into the pitch knowing that it was going to be a very different. Um, idea probably from the from the rest of the, the the field of pitches which i don't i have no idea what they were really but mm-hmm. yeah we knew it was a, a risk in that sense um but yeah yeah for 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 us it was like well this is what we want to do if we don't get it then we mm-hmm. don't we don't do the we don't do this basically okay and with kind of like developing the gameplay loop itself as yeah. you said, like with the original concept being one man XCOM, and again, like as somebody who has lived and died many times in both the original and Firaxis take, I can see I'm just like running through my head right now how painful that could be when you're trying to do that. So in terms of building the actual gameplay loop, I think we can get very meaty in the discussion with this point. Like what was kind of like the buildup in terms of deciding, you know, just how much I want to give the player and just how much the timeline is really the factor in everything? Yeah, so the the kind of the first immediate consequence of doing it as one a, a one person, one one actor uh, tactics game was like, okay, so the reason we see so many tactics game use squads is because you get the a chance for like combinations of moves mm-hmm. and um, you know different expressiveness from the player in that sense with like loadouts and blah blah blah, and so the yeah so the, the first kind of immediate problem is like right how do we get to that same kind of endpoint but with just one person, and it did kind of hinge on on the timeline and the kind of variability of the actions. Um, so to, I guess to kind of explain if for people that haven't played it, like the, the game is set uh, spatially on a hex grid and then time wise, instead of a, uh, a turn-based or a kind of like simultaneous thing, like a frozen synapse, um, every action has a variable amount of time, in measured in tenths of seconds. And so moving a step is four tenths, shooting a guy is 1.3 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so, and so every action kind of is in, be- is uh, not in between that, but um, a different, a slightly different amount. And so we knew from the jump, like, okay, we can get to those, the kind of interesting combinations of situations with this timeline because in any given group of people or environment the the exact specifics of who's doing what when can be different and that's how we get away from 
the boring one person XCOM where really there isn't like there aren't really many interesting decisions to make in one person XCOM because you only do one you can only do quote unquote one thing and it's only to like one target or whatever mm-hmm. where when you've got a group of people and it's on a timeline you might go you know oh, okay i know i need to stun this person first to then shoot to then reload to do that and that's just like one kind of path through one situation where you know eventually between you know crouching and the line of sight system and so forth like we end up giving or hope you know the idea is giving the player enough different tools so that that same kind of expressiveness that you get with the squad comes through with just the single uh, actor mm-hmm. and with again like for people listening to us when we're describing this kind of system of like simultaneous uh, play along the timeline uh, a lot of strategy fans probably will know the colloquial uh, the we go system sometimes in tactile games you know i go you go you know we each take a turn but mm-hmm. with something like John Wick, and the game that I think most came to my mind, which I think a lot of people listening will also probably cite, would be something like Super Hot that came out a few years ago. This was a first-person shooter where time only moved when you moved. And that itself presented a very interesting take. And we can see that kind of similar decision-making with John Wick Hex. As you said, like... If you only if you know an enemy is going to attack in let's say an eighth of a second, and let's say my gun will only fire at a second thirty, well then I'm going to take a shot unless I do something else to compensate. Right, and it's funny like we, you know, I, I say uh, so. I'm going to say like Super Hot wasn't like a a influence only in the sense that we didn't start going, all right, we're going to make super hot tactics, but obviously, you know, we, we, the team played it and it definitely is an influence in general, Mm -hmm. but it actually wasn't until we started. And I think shortly after we started production with the timeline in mind that we're like, Oh, right. Like this is, this is kind of just super hot with a different, you know, like, you know, slightly different camp time and and camera and that sort of stuff. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, this very similar kind of thinking. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with like kind of the moves themselves, so this is again, like a very major point about John Wick Hex and again about tactical strategy games in general is just how much do you give the player in terms of options? Like uh, for myself, I've watched the first two John Wick movies. I haven't seen the third one yet, but anyone who's seen the movies knows just you know, the depth of tactics that can go on display in a single action shot. You can, in like the span of 40 seconds, it goes from a gunfight to a knife fight to a fist fight to then back to yeah. guns. Yeah. And when you're trying to build a game around this, it can become very difficult because do you give the player everything? Are they the most powerful piece on the field? Or do you restrict their actions, but then in turn, does it not quite get that same feeling that you wanted out of the movies? Yeah, so like on the on the actual action set, we we didn't want to get we like yeah, we basically tried to find a sweet spot of like what are like the core kind of repeating actions that uh the character does in the movies versus <laughs> Uh, you know, doing everything he could actually do, but you know, then you'd get into a whole lot of like the weeds on design and and production and so forth. Um, so yeah, the set we ended up with was, or actually, before I even get to that, like I, the the idea behind them, the melee set is to really encourage movement, and so we have like a strike, which is like the only non-movement one, which is you stand and like hit someone basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have a push, which you grab them and move them with you in a straight line on this hex grid or a takedown where they stand still and you move around them while you're attacking them and so forth. Um, and then you have your, if you have a gun, you can shoot your gun or throw your gun. Mm-hmm. And so, the kind of the two kind of guiding ideas for that was first to encourage a lot of movement and so i think hopefully once people play it and you kind of get and get used to it you realize like right while the strike and the takedown do 
damage and are easier to pull off like the push becomes very useful um as far as like allowing you to get behind a wall or through um or behind line of sight and the other the other thing is all of as as far as like how powerful the player is as john because like in the movies of course he just went you know eventually obviously wins every fight and it's always like a very cinematic struggle but for the game the idea was like when it's just you and one other person, it's like a, it's almost a non-issue. Like, and you see that in the movies. Like, when John is just taking down one guy, it's like not a big deal. And and in that and for him, right? And so for the player, likewise, if you can handle just having one person is very easy to handle. And then when you add in a second person, it becomes a little bit more of a juggling act because they're always attacking, and so you're trying to space out making sure you can pull off a melee move before without being interrupted or likewise shooting without getting shot, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so every, like as you step up the chain on like three or four or five people, I don't know if you've been in a fight yet with like five or six people at once, but then it's like, I mean, it's very, very, very hard to kind of get out of that. You, I mean, definitely won't get out of it unscathed, but Mm -hmm can you get out of it like reasonably well for the rest of the the level? And so, yeah, it was, it was less about, or not less about like, it was, it it was trying to evoke that feeling of the movie where like the more people that pile in, the more complex it becomes um, as opposed to uh, giving the player like uh, a set of like RPG tool, RPG like tools that would increase over the course of the game, that sort of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, and that's another thing. Uh, as you were just saying, in terms of making it through the level, because that was one of the things that I was kind of surprising to me. Because I kind of kept myself, you know, away from the news loop around the game. I wanted to kind of go into it blind. And the thing that kind of surprised me was that each level is essentially a set of persistently, or your stats are persistent over the course of each section in that level. So that if you end a section without any ammo in your gun, you start the next section. Well, you don't have any. You don't have the means yeah. to shoot somebody. Yeah, and that was very deliberate because I I specifically wanted to avoid, and to some extent, this kind of still stuck through. But I wanted to avoid a puzzle like feeling to each level. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the 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 enemy placement is not is not fully static or fully random. So there's a little variability. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wanted. I, I did not want the feeling of like, right, I will master this exact level. And then if I get to the next one, then whether I got through the skin of my teeth or not, it, that, that doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. it really, it, it was, it was important to like, that you feel like you're, you have to play the long game in, in a sense. Like, you know, I only have so many resources to bandage myself with or guns or whatever, and try and get through a sequence of five of these maps um, in mm-hmm. a row. Yeah. And like when you're trying to like get through these levels, like, as you said, you only have limited resources to do that. And one of the things that I was thinking about while I was playing the game, and this was kind of like one of my uh, little design quibbles, I'm sure it's something that you and the rest of the team thought of as well, was the idea of having essentially endlessly responding enemies. Because as we, for those of you who haven't played the game yet that are listening, as you're going through each section, the enemies can spawn in from any of the various doors. And as you said, with the uh, enemy placements being not exactly fixed, but not exactly 100% random, it can lead to those cases where all of a sudden you're walking down a hallway and a fight between one guy turns into a fight against four. Or my favorite point was I think the game trolled me as I was walking towards the exit door, the guard comes right out of that door yeah. and stops me from leaving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, also like it was a it was challenging to try and get the the player uh, try and get the player to always be moving forward, basically, mm-hmm. um, because ultimately, like every the maps have a goal of either get to the end or uh, kill the boss at the end, basically, mm-hmm. um, and so part of it was like right we want to kind of gently be tugging the player forward without feeling because like if there's if there are no if there are no enemies on screen it does feel a little 
dull mm-hmm. and it does not feel like necessarily like a movie which you know obviously is choreographed such that he's always you know going through people mm-hmm. um but yeah it was that that was kind of a challenge that we we fell into and yeah ultimately like we you know with the tools we had that was this is sort of where we ended up um mm-hmm. and yeah, I suppose that's basically why it, why it is the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one thing that I've been seeing some people talk about with like online reviews and just some things that I was seeing, it didn't seem like there was a lot in terms of, I guess, option growth over the course of playing the game. Now, obviously, the enemies do change. You do introduce uh, new variants and the bosses. But uh, in terms of, I guess, giving the player more options themselves. It seems like the game is fairly self-contained. Like, yeah. your move set on the first map, if you can master that, that's going to get you through the rest of the game. Yeah, well, that was that was deliberate because <clears throat> the f- we we the, so the game narratively is a prequel, but yeah. we did not want to have the idea of oh, I am you know, novice John Wick at the beginning of the game and at the end of the game, I am, you know, cool, <laughs> feared, bad. Like, it kind of is, it's that, that like, isn't really, like, I understand that desire, but people mm-hmm. want to see that, but, like, it, it it would spoil it a little from, from our point of view if you saw, like, kind of, like, behind the scenes. Like, it, it's, it is sort of the myth that, like, he is just, he was just born a badass. It doesn't really matter, you know, when he did it or where he came from. And so likewise, you know, narratively, that's what we wanted to do. And so if we, you know, looking at that narrative element from the design, it wouldn't really be, it well, for, I mean, it would clash, clash for one thing, but like, we didn't want to have like, Oh, you know, you're, you get new powers or new, <laughs> new moves or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your health increases, that sort of thing. So, yeah, we it, it, we did kind of keep it flattened for that reason, um, and relied more on like different types of environments and different combinations of enemies and that sort of thing to to add some more variance. Um, and then likewise, we have as you progress through, you do get more like there are um, essentially like passive bonuses in the form of suit upgrades that you can tweak to you know, adjust your playing style, basically, that do increase, like, your health and your focus. Um, and so we tried to kind of get back to... Because, yeah, obviously, obviously, you do want to have, like, something given to you over the course of the game, but it was hard to try and keep that, like, he was always cool as shit narrative without mm-hmm. then undercutting that by making you just feel more powerful over the course of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that actually is a good segue into a few of the more, I guess, the uh, IP-related questions surrounding John Wick Hex and kind of like what you guys are able to do with the property. Um, I've spoken to developers in the past who worked with licensed IPs and some of the interesting challenges and workarounds they have to go through in terms of balancing the mechanics or the gameplay loop they have with the property itself. As you said, the star of the cast, that you pitched this idea to, I think, is it Warner Brothers, the uh, publisher? Lionsgate. Lionsgate, sorry. You pitched it to Lionsgate as kind of, again, like a one-man XCOM. Like, when they approved it, did they give you, again, like, this is NDA, you know, feel free to tell me. Uh, did they give you any, like, restrictions or considerations you had to deal with when designing John Wick Hex? Um. Well, so I have two non-answers for you. Okay. <laughs> One that I wasn't in those discussions, um, so I, I, it's not even that I NDA. I not truly couldn't really tell you. But two, not necess- not really. Like mm-hmm. they, they liked the idea. Of, like we came to them pitching, we want to make a game about the fight choreography of the mm-hmm. movies, and you can tell. And this is evident, you know, in the production people and the, everyone behind the movies as well. Like you can tell they that's what the movies are really kind of about. Like it's, it's a love letter to various Mm -hmm. action movies and and franchises. So they like that idea as much as we like that idea. Um, So yeah, for, for, for our, for my purposes and for our purposes, like they were, they were totally into it. Like the story, uh, my, my, I mean, Mike wrote the story. So he would, uh, he would be better 
be able to better answer that. But he, you know, worked with or, or, or spoke with um, the director and and read like the the script of the third movie before it was released mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, for me, from the beginning, it was like it was less like because you know for a film studio like we say one man XCOM and you know between you and I and and <laughs> game design people we know what that means but like that's not how we pitched it to them necessarily it was hey we want to make the player feel like a fight choreographer mm-hmm. yeah and I just wonder like how many of the movie executives have ever heard of super hot or <laughs> exactly <laughs> like yeah so it was yeah you're, you're I mean to some extent, a few of them had for sure, um, but yeah, not not all of them. Mm-hmm. In terms of the story, as we said, the game itself is considered a prequel to the movies. Like, did they was that like something that they put on you guys, or did you decide to turn this into a prequel as you were designing it? Um, you know, I'm trying to remember. I don't fully know, but I do know we didn't want to just recreate the movie scenes. Mm-hmm. and because of that like between the f- first and the second movie i think only like a few days passes mm-hmm. and then the second and third movie is like minute to minute like it just ends and the next one just starts immediately mm-hmm. so it was more like okay well we didn't want to really do just like the same scenes from the movies and there wasn't really any room to play in between them so mm-hmm. yeah the the story kind of fell to a time before uh, kind of before the instigating actions of the first movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people listening, and just as a point of curiosity, how long was John Wick Hex in development for? Um, so not counting the prototype, let me, uh, fifth, oh shit. <laughs> it depends on how you, yeah, it's, <laughs> it depends on how you count it. Over a year, not, not more than it, not uh, less than a year and a half. Um, so, uh, kind of 14 ish months, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of a little bit fuzzy on, on both sides. Um, so yeah, just over a year pretty much. Okay. And with kind of the development of like the actual like process of the combat, oh, sorry, my mind just like blanked out there. I just got my voice Hold on one second, three, two, one. And with like the overall like process of building the game up, as we said, like, you've gone through various prototypes. Were there like any prototypes in the game that were either like more, I guess, I don't know if I want to say action oriented or like more tactical focus, or were there more that were more the slower side? Like, how did that go in terms of that kind of balance? It, there weren't really, um, to some extent, um, we. Uh, we started with we, we started from the beginning with the timeline, and so a lot of the iteration and experimentation was basically how do we um, it, it was a lot of like basically UI design. Um, so like how do we get the timeline to convey all the information we want it to in a way that it does not you know you don't need like a one a full page of text to like explain, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, over the course of it, it, w- it was a few a few things we made faster by like, okay, we you can always have like a move action on right click, for example, like instead of because you know at a very early point you had to had select you selected move and then you select your destination, and I was like, okay, well, for just a one person thing, that's way too mm-hmm. kind of overcomplicated. Um, <clears throat> but no, it never really went out as far as like faster or slower like it wasn't it was never like diablo for example and then we like (laughs) brought it back to where it is now um or like i mean obviously XCOM was way slower um Mm -hmm. slower in a kind of like experiential sense but we so yeah so in that sense from the prototype to timeline got what much faster um but after that no it was really iterating on the actions that you would do the the types of levels so like the interesting thing was we started out with our levels kind of like bigger m- more open spaces mm-hmm. and with testing and then like actually talking to like the the people on the production they came down to like way tighter like thinner corridors like there's actually there is a, a maze in one level but like kind of maze like um 
environments and it was a lot of figuring out the kind of engagement ranges of the uh, of the AI that felt good like how many you know like what was the balance of of the AI so like two people and three people felt felt right that sort of thing mm-hmm. and I'm glad you mentioned playtesting so I definitely want to touch on that in a minute but uh, going back to what you just said about getting like the feel of the commands down right I gotta ask, did you ever play the game Door Kickers by any chance? Uh, no, I have not. I'm not sure. I may, I think I know the, the title sounds familiar, but I don't think I'm familiar with it at all. It was kind of like a top-down, almost like old-school Rainbow Six or SWAT kind of game, where you're issuing like multiple commands to different units, and then you're watching it all play out. And the reason why I brought that game up was that... A lot of people really enjoyed it for that, the level granularity in terms of the amount of options you can do. You know, you can approach a door slowly. You can uh, run into it. You can do all these kinds of crazy things. And one of the things that kind of like uh, pushed me away from it was just how slow it felt to be able to do some of these commands. And with someone like John Wick Hex, as you said, like for a normal tactical strategy gamer, you know, left click to point, you know, left click again to confirm, you know, that's our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to get something like this, especially get in the hands of somebody who may not have played those games, all these like little shortcuts or speed ups, I it feels like it's very important to like get them accustomed to it. Yeah, well, I mean, we've had it, the breadth of responses is mm-hmm. is like, oh, wow, I can't, you know, it's a very <laughs> slow action game. I'm not sure if I like this. <laughs> and then we and then we get people, you know, real real big strategy nerds that are like, oh wow, this, you know, this feels great. I can move like as fast as I can click. <laughs> um, and so it's been great being in between that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it was it it was definitely a consideration. And I think I think I'm you know I'm kind of okay with that kind of spread because. To some extent, like if you know the the times, the actions, the, how long, the durations of the actions very well, and you mm-hmm. can kind of like glance at the timeline very quickly, like you can play extremely quickly. But there's no, absolutely no penalty at all for just letting the game pause, and it's like a true, complete pause. There's, mm-hmm. It's not like infinitesimally moving forward. There's no penalty to just waiting around and taking as long as you want to. Um, but yeah, it was it was a consideration for sure. And then everything else around that as far as like the clicks in the interface was all in service of kind of both getting out of the way of the player and showing them all the information we want them to see um mm-hmm. in, you know, kind of digestible and quickly and and all that sort of stuff. Uh so it was from our point of view is much more about that because once you have the information you can play as you know as fast or slow as you want from there yeah and speaking about that fast and slow for people who are listening to us right now you guys introduce a nuller or i'm not sure this would be considered a difficulty option or just a modifier that you can set the game so that you only have five seconds to make an action kind of like yes. speed chess <laughs> it is exactly yeah it was pretty much that well and we um it's yeah it's not quite a difficulty mode it is more of a modifier but we did want to throw in something like a difficulty mode that wasn't just you know more or fewer enemies or anything like mm-hmm. that because i mean like production wise we were uh, it was very tight um so that kind of stuff takes takes time um and so this comparatively was is relatively straightforward but yeah it's essentially if you don't if you don't do something uh in five seconds the game will just auto wait for you. So you lose 0.2 seconds. Like the world will advance 0.2 seconds if you don't do so. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the world will advance uh, 0.2 seconds if you don't do something within the five seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are people out there who probably find that to be too slow as well. Oh, yeah. Well, and like <laughs> you can, it's, you can play it that quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Like it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, getting back to the uh, topic about like playtesting again, the um, as you said, you got a very wide spectrum of responses and feedback on John yeah. Wick Hex. I guess one thing I really wanted to ask, in terms of like the overall, I guess 
I'm not sure this would be the concept or the philosophy of the game, but in terms of where you want John Wick Hex to go, was this aimed to be kind of, again, like something for tactical strategy fans, something for people who've never touched the genre, or maybe somewhere in between the two? Um, honestly, like for me personally, I don't, it wasn't, I wasn't really kind of considering a specific audience. Um, so it was less, it it was less about who it was going to be for and more for me, like, can, can we do, can we do what we set out to do, which is, you know, make an action movie. Mm -hmm with like this kind of logical underpinning to the world and then that sort of thing, like a believability to the fights. Can we go from that to a like proper like tactics? I, I say proper, probably I probably shouldn't say like proper in that way. Cause it implies like an improper tactics game, but like mm-hmm. a fully fleshed out um, tactics game that felt um, like it was doing the action thing. Like a, uh, it was doing it not a disservice. Um, mm-hmm. So that was like, as far as the end point, that was my goal. Um, and less about like an audience point of view. Okay. And in terms of getting like feedback and balancing the game, were there like any, like, were there earlier versions of the game that were harder in some yes. area or aspect? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously like the feedback is definitely, it's been, you know, we're only two days out um, mm-hmm. from the release. But yeah, the feedback is it's, it's quite hard, but it was at some point. Uh, harder still so mm-hmm. and then that kind of thing for better or worse is like a simple you know we us balancing it are a little bit too close to and a little bit too good at it and have seen a little bit too much um to be able to accurately judge how especially like the, like the front half of it especially like the first the chinatown tutorial mm-hmm. map i think that side of it is um is pretty well balanced and then as you get to the later the later levels it it gets substantially harder Mm -hmm. um but to some extent like you do we we do want people to internalize uh the the systems and the rules and the abilities in order to get through that um so it was not totally unintentional okay and speaking about again like the tools and what the player has to deal with one mm-hmm. thing that we didn't touch on yet that I think is a really good topic is the enemy design itself. Because, again, in any kind of tactical strategy or any kind of strategy game, the enemy's tactics definitely infer on what you're able to do. For yeah. the people listening, obviously, like XCOM being a chief example, fighting a sectoid is monumentously different than fighting a mutton or a chrysalid. And these things always have to be balanced with what the player's tool sets are. Hmm. Now, from where I played, I think like when I stopped, I think I was nearing the end of the second chapter. So I saw, I think it was like the heavier security guard, the one that kind of like a machine gun or assault rifle. Hmm. In terms of designing the enemies, what was kind of the overall concept you wanted to give them or overall like design you wanted to put on them to kind of test the player so um there's kind of uh two the the first division of the enemies is uh are they just melee or do they have a gun Mm -hmm. and then within each of those there are three kind of tiers and so uh, you saw the second tier which is uh, basically Mm -hmm. real quick i guess first tier is like uh, people would just have a pistol or a revolver. Second tier is they have a rapid-fire gun of some kind, um, and there's a few variations of that. And then the third tier, they have shotguns, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the melee side of it, it's um, the the strike-push-takedown. Uh, it goes like up from there. Mm-hmm. So you know, initial enemies can just hit you. Everyone can just hit you. Then the middle tier, it's either push or takedown. I may have it flipped um mm-hmm. but they can just push and then uh, the third tier can do the full like takedown maneuver which for you can kill the first uh the the early tier enemies in one hit um and so it was it was somewhat deliberate to, or not somewhat it was it was fairly deliberate to keep the like variability of the enemies kind of low mm-hmm. um and partly is that because in a narrative sense like there aren't 
you know, like like John Wick is you know fantastical in many ways, but ultimately it is just you know mm-hmm. people like there's not you know, aliens or or fantasy <laughs> stuff. Like people have swords and that sort of stuff occasionally, but you know, as far as like for us, you know, production budgets and that sort of thing, we we're like, okay, we we wanted to keep the actual set kind of low, but it becomes and this is what I touched on at the very beginning, it becomes much more interesting on the combination of people attacking you. So if you enter a room and it's, you know, uh, one revolver guy, a tier two melee person, a tier three guy with a shotgun, and then a tier two gun guy with an assault rifle, that is a very different situation. Like like mm-hmm. with you know, the sectoid and the muton thing, a very different situation to a room of just brawlers or just, you know, like tier one melee guys or a, t- a room with all gun people. You, and even then, depending on when you enter the room, they could all be in a different set of, a different point in their actions. They could all not be doing anything. They could all be shooting or moving and that sort of stuff. And so that's where we try and get a lot of the the different uh, encounters coming into play. Mm-hmm. In terms of the actual, like, the enemy generation, the enemy spawning in, does the game kind of, like, tell, or like, does the game know, like, what tier of enemies to spawn? Or, like, are the actual, like, higher tier enemies kind of fixed on the maps? Um, they are, if I understand you correctly, they are fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, but each map kind of has a cadence to it, to when, who spawns and when. Um, but you'll never see like a tier three guy show up in the in chi- in the first Chinatown maps kind of thing. Okay, it's not it's not that dynamic, I suppose. <laughs> All right, and uh, getting back to kind of like the pacing of the game. Were there, like, earlier versions of the game that had, like, more... Like, I guess to make things easier for people listening, like, we have the levels and then broken down the sections. Were there earlier versions of the games that had, like, more or less sections? Or, like, how did you decide, like, how long you want quote-unquote level to be? Um, not really, and it was one of... It, it was more a, a situation where we kind of it was a backwards way of doing it where we're like, okay, we want about this many, there are seven locations and about five to six uh, levels within each one of those. Um, Story-wise, like those, those are kind of set by the story as written by Mike. And so Mm -hmm. we kind of knew like, all right, we knew it was going to be seven locations and we knew we wanted about five to six within each. And so we just made made that many and then sort of worked out the pacing within each one and made sure it was, you know, doable. And, and obviously it was, it's a little too difficult, but, you know, pacing wise, we kind of, we came from it backwards. It was less, less the other way around. Okay. And I'm trying to think there's anything else design related. I want to go over, I guess one thing about this, are there any aspects of the design of John Lee Hex that we didn't touch on yet that you'd like to bring up, Nick? Um, I think the only other thing is like we have, um, as, as far as talking about going from a a squad to a single person, Mm -hmm. a big part of that was, um, the focus system. Mm. And so focus just being, um, a resource that you have, but it's not, I, I, I try to think of it as a bit more than just a resource. Um, what you, you do spend it to do like the higher level, um, take down and push melee moves and it is taken away from you when you get hit when you mm-hmm. get shot or you get we need damage but it does a lot to like the hit chances so if your hit chance is lower or i'm sorry if your focus is lower your hit chance your outgoing hit chance is lower and likewise if it's high incoming shot chances are decreased for enemies shooting you mm-hmm. um it affects the stun times for actions and that sort of thing um so yeah, that was a big kind of iteration point um, to try and get that system to give like one extra dimension to the player and the enemies to feel get yeah get some more combinatorial effects coming out um, for better or worse, I suppose. Okay, 
And that actually reminds me of, uh, in terms of the bosses themselves, like the bosses operate under kind of different rules compared to normal yeah. enemies. You can't stun them. And a major part of it is that you have to engage in melee to break their focus to then finish them off with the gun itself. Yeah. So what was kind of like uh, the decision of coming up with how you want the bosses to play out? So the bosses, the the kind of goal of them, and I think I don't quite think we got to it, unfortunately. Like mm-hmm. the goal, the goal was to recreate, you know, some scenes from the movie where just John and one other person, because it's kind of two types of fight scenes. It's him mm-hmm. going through just you know six or eight or yeah. however many just dudes, and then it's like, okay, this is a cinematic character fight scene that you know blah 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 tells like a little story where they're just in one space playing out over this one environment Mm -hmm. and the goal was to try to recreate those um and yeah it ultimately it became it became a challenge to not just dramatically increase their health and focus stats uh and then to obviously because like focus is not just a stat you have to kind of give focus meaning um the higher up it goes the more you have to kind of do with it mm-hmm. um and so we ended up it, uh working out like okay so you know bosses being a bit more special a bit it's in some ways slightly more powerful than you uh won't take health damage from melee attacks and you can still shoot them when their focus is high, but their shot chance or the, the chance to hit them while their focus is high is really, really decreased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was basically the goal of it. But it we ended up in where we were now because of just, yeah, I, I suppose it never got quite fleshed out enough um, mm-hmm. underpinning. And it was more of like, how do we get the focus to work both in the way... Like, you know, trying to get focus to work for the player to have this, like, mental resource and mental, like, stat and to work for the goons who have very little focus, but, you know, theoretically could lose it. And then also the bosses who we want to feel kind of like this power struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's always been one of the hardest aspects of, like, strategy games in general is trying to kind of have those quote-unquote boss encounters. And... It's always tough because, as we've said, like strategy games are built on an entirely abstracted design, and when you're dealing with abstract design, those are very hard rules in terms of play. Like in XCOM, for instance, I can't tell my squaddy go uh, climb up that wall, jump over the rooftop, and do you know like, a shoot shooting while you're jumping from one rooftop to the next because that's not a option that was planned in the game. And when you're trying to have a boss fight, you're trying to say, okay, we have this rigid set of rules. How do we make something higher on top of those set of rules? And yeah, without making it like just obscenely hard, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was. It's a. It was. I don't. I, I'm. I don't think we got there quite in the end, but I do mm-hmm. think the, the bosses. I think effectively force you to. Um, excuse me. I think the bosses effectively force you to change your tactics because it's not, you know, it's not the same as fighting a room full of regular guys. You do need to, you know, make the effort to, to close up on them. Um, Cause one thing we do see is I think the evolution of, of people understanding the game is you either start doing a lot of takedowns because they, they instant kill the, the first tier of enemies or just shooting people all the time. And then you eventually evolve into like, Oh, I have to preserve my ammunition because yeah. it's, you know, I to, or I have to be always picking up guns and getting <laughs> myself correctly put in those positions to pick up guns. And then you get to the boss and, and you go, okay, now I have to know how to close up on the boss and do melee attacks mm-hmm. on them consistently to then be able to deal out enough damage with a gun in order to actually kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we kind of ended up with. And it's not like the worst. I don't think it's definitely not the worst thing in the world, but it was not. It's not quite the the movie scene um, yeah. as I think we probably we did better on with um, just like a regular goon fight mm-hmm. or a group of goons. Yeah. And, like, getting the player to that point, I think, is another very fascinating topic. As we talked about earlier with playtesting, and 
in terms of, I guess, like leading the player to like growing in this game, what were some like the, were there any like interesting challenges or bottlenecks you saw people run into with trying to learn the game? Um, that's, you know, that, that might be something I could answer better in like six months. Um, after like, stepping away from from it and and just watching people play after a long time um but yeah we try it it was i guess from my point of view we tried or we tried and we did a lot of work on the interface um to to get the information especially on the timeline to to the player but bottleneck wise there was a couple a couple little tweaks we made like when you're moving around and you see someone new for the first time it'll interrupt your own move um and pause basically pause the game time mm-hmm. um sorry it'll pause the game time and show you the new person and that was something that wasn't in a substantial amount of time and we realized like right people are making these very short little moves because you know at any point in the fog of war uh, someone could just sprout out and you know surprise you and if you're in the middle of a very long move they could turn and shoot you without uh, you being able to do anything about it so little things like that um, what we ended up doing but yeah I think to some extent we which you know interface wise try and present all the information mm-hmm. uh, tutorials have, are not or that the, the, the tutorialization is not uh, perfect but it we do try and kind of convey a lot of the important concepts um so that people can then get to like the next level of like all oh, right i really should be conserving ammunition and that sort of thing um but we have, i mean i've definitely seen players that especially before the tutorial would just not pay attention to the timeline at all mm-hmm. um you know even though it takes up half the screen <laughs> <clears throat> which and that and like to me very personally like i have no idea how you wouldn't look at it but <laughs> that's that's how it is um or i mean that's just how some people are okay. and and like, it was definitely like tricky getting the game from the beginning like all my head as i was playing it like like the very first time i was saying oh this will be something like super hot or hotline miami you know something that is more like that kinetic Almost like that kind of like moment-to-moment rush of going from one enemy to the next. But when you sit down and play it, obviously it focuses a lot more on like you're planning the move out more in your head rather than you're improvising. And Yeah, we do... I mean that that I think comes down to an interpretation of the move. I'm sorry, not and not to say that mm-hmm. I think you you're wrong necessarily, but I've definitely seen people that are like, why isn't it faster why isn't it you know hotline miami or whatever mm-hmm. but i do think that comes down to an interpretation of the of the movies yeah. um and to us like when we saw the movies you know we see someone who's very skilled at uh their profession of killing people but like you can see you know you can kind of see the gears turning in in his head and you can mm-hmm. see like deliberate motion and like you know sometimes he's waiting for someone to advance sometimes he's you know moving forward or that sort of thing and so we wanted to to bring that like sense of thought to the player and then just like what happens in a microsecond in the choreographed movie scene we can we give you however much time you you want um but yeah i mean people do start it and they definitely either expect like either kind of diablo-ish or hotline miami or that sort of thing Mm mm-hmm but I mean, how how long did it take you to go from that feeling to you know what it what it what it is in the end? Um, I think probably like around like getting to the second area. I think right around the time I beat the second boss was when I was okay. starting to like get into the groove of things. But uh, there is one asset I we didn't touch on yet that I was just thinking about. I think this is another fascinating point again about kind of again powering and depowering the player with John Wick mm-hmm. and that is the use of probability mm. it, when yeah 
uh, for people who are listening, we have played many RNG-heavy games on Game Wisdom and the YouTube channel. A lot of people probably found me from playing Darkest Dungeon. And that was a game that you live or die based on whether or not attacks could hit. And yeah. again, XCOM... Uh, People have seen me miss like ninety to ninety-five percent chance hits in that game, and I've, I have missed personally have missed you know ninety-eight percent yeah. and that sort of thing. <laughs> Welcome to the club, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probability has always been one of those very tricky aspects of tactical strategy or strategy games in general, because as mm-hmm. we've said, you're dealing with a very tightly bound set of rules mm-hmm. and when something can mess with or alter them it can be seen as either you know the angels are smiling on you or the game is just out to kill you sure and i mean yeah so yeah so i mean as far it, it was a big it was a big thing at the mm-hmm. beginning of 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 our production so when we started Actually, there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways I could tackle this, but like when we, when we started production, um, I was just playing, I was just playing uh, Into the Breach and Battletech, mm. which as far as like design theory of yeah. probability are like complete opposite yes. ends of each other, right? And, and you know, and I love bo- both games for me are like practically immaculate. Um, so when we started i i had a lot of draft ideas and a lot of notes trying to work out like okay can we do this without probability mm-hmm. and the short answer is because we just have one person it's kind of a just a no like you really do you you do need to have a little bit of fuzziness on your actions or the alternative was something like adding so many different uh like vectors of data so that you know like whether whether something hit and did damage was like this five-dimensional model like mm-hmm. that was that truly like may have not been there may have been uh no randomness in it but you know effectively presented as, as very hard to predict for the player. And so that kind of route didn't really feel appealing. Um, also, cause I didn't have any ideas for what like this very like overly complex thing would be. Um, and so the other, the other direction of it was narratively in the movies, you see, well, you see, you see John miss. And so that kind of gave us a quick out if anyone asked, <laughs> which I think you might be the first person that really, really asked, but it's like, well, you see a miss in the movies. So you made a miss in the game. Um, <laughs> but the way I see it, and from a design from a designer's point of view, it's less I have this sis, I have this beautiful system, but oh, it's porous and it has these these leaks in it, and oh, you know, the angels of the devils are smiling upon me. And more the battletech model of like, I will miss, I will get hit. It's not going to be a perfect run kind of game. And because you see that in the movies where, you know, at the end of the fight scenes, he's bloodied and bruised and he's, you know, taking, uh, he's, he's bandaged up and he's got all, you know, you can see the wear and tear on him that we wanted to say like, no, it's, it's the probability is part of the, uh, it's part of the fabric of the world and it's more of a game about like risk management and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, cause there are some, there are many, many situations of the game where you're like, well, I'm going to get shot, but it will be worth it to get two shots off on this guy so that I can proceed this third or, you know, the second guy that's, that's about to do this thing, but I'm going to get shot. And that's just what it's going to have to be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> another kind of low key influence for me, um, was Blood Bowl, okay, and so very much on the risk management side of things, and very much like that. That for me, I do love Blood Bowl, but I don't think I enjoy enjoy <laughs> it very much um, because of the 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 yeah the probability and the RNG is so 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 part of it. Mm-hmm. But as far as like a game that's about spatial awareness and risk management and positioning, I think there for me are a lot of similarities between the two. Um, mm. <clears throat> so yeah it started as like 
kind of a necessity because you only have one actor and then it was also it made a lot of narrative sense and we wanted to kind of you know emotionally wanted to be more about you know being bloodied and risk management and less the perfect run type of uh, tactics mm-hmm. game that i think even like to some extent if you're playing XCOM, just let go of that perfect run yeah. idea <laughs> because it's it's kind of truly more about the risk management thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think like Into the Breach is the like the perfect run model uh, mm-hmm. done 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 quite well. Yeah, and I'm very in- interested that you brought up Into the Breach because that's one of those games that like I felt like a lot of people didn't really like give that game a lot of like deep analysis on. And I know even I didn't do that as well. But it was such like a very like some people describe it as like a strategy puzzle game in a weird way. And it just always like worked differently, I think, compared to other strategy games, as you said, for the fact that there is no RNG in that game. But how things evolve is completely random over the course of each turn of a match. Yeah, there so there is there's not RNG in the like gamer presented. Yeah side of it but there is a fair amount like well first you get those uh the buildings that have a chance to not be destroyed Mm -hmm. but like yeah the movement the 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 real actual randomness in the game is the movement of the enemies um and so yeah it's it's slightly it's slightly not true to to say that there's no in it but like yeah compared to a blood bowl or a battle tech where there are percentage numbers in every corner of the screen um Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a different philosophy. Yeah, and for us, like we also looked at it and said, and we we really liked the, um, um, uh, how would you say, like uh, projecting or seeing into the future a little bit of of um, seeing what all the enemies are going to do on their next turn, so you mm-hmm. can you know anticipate them, yeah. and that you know led into to to John Wick quite a bit. Yeah. And there's two other games I just wanted to bring. I just want to get your thoughts on them. And then I think I am just about out of questions. But I really want to ask, like, were you at all inspired by games like Invisible Ink or Metal Gear Acid? Because, like... Uh, Definitely Invisible Ink, if only because I've never... I've not played Metal Gear Acid. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, no, Invisible Ink, well, I I really, really like it. I think it's very, very good. Um, Yeah, yeah, it it does a lot of... Of things, a, a big deal touching off on Invisible Ink was we did not, and this I think definitely plays into the XCOM comparisons. Like, <clears throat> mm-hmm. we did not want to make a stealth tactics thing. Mm. Um, and obviously, XCOM is kind of half a tactic, half a stealth tactics, half a action regular tactics, and Invisible mm-hmm. Ink is almost all stealth tactics. Yeah. But for us, um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a big. It's not a big part of the movies. It's you know, ten fifteen percent of the fights are sometimes or he's a little bit stealthy, and then once it's off, it's yeah, you know, back off. There's no returning to that point, and so that's kind of where we're at in the game. There's a few instances where you can get the drop on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Invisible Ink was a was a a touchstone, but not quite as much as you would think, if only because a lot of their decisions and the design is in service of a stealth setup and always returning to stealth. Um, where for us, it was like, okay, we really, we don't want to show, like we we thought about a noise system for a time, but then if you have noise, then people don't want to make noise. And so it kind of got rid of, we kind of got rid of the noise because we don't want to encourage stealth play um, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Invisible again, is another very fascinating, you know, I mean, we could easily just, like, turn this cast and just, let's talk about our favorite, you know, off-brand tactical strategy games in that regard. And, yeah, as you're saying, like, that kind of balance between stealth and action is always very difficult to go by. And, again, kind of gets back to the heart of something like John Wick Hex, in that, how powerful should the player be? Yeah, and one thing is like we did not want that power to include being stealthy. Basically, mm-hmm. is is the is the short answer? Um, yeah, because it's not really part of the movies, and it's not really. And I say part of the movies, like it's not the focus of the movies, and so we did not. We really didn't want to be that to be the focus of what we were doing. Hmm. 
All right. I think with that, we are just over an hour, and we could easily segue into other topics, but I think we've hit on just about everything that has to do with John Wick Hex. I guess for you, any other topics that we didn't touch on? Uh, no, I I don't think so. I think it was, yeah, it was a lot of... <laughs> we got a lot of the, the design thoughts and that sort of thing, the evolutions of it. Okay. All right. In that case, I just have a few wrap-up questions for you, Nick, and then I sure. will let you go for the evening. Sure. So I guess the first one is, so right now, John Wick Hex, I know it's available on Epic Games. And what other platforms is it going to be available on? Um, at, the, at the moment, it will, we're not, we're not saying, uh, what are we saying? Just consoles in the future. Okay. Um, I don't think, I don't think. I even know, to be honest, uh, which which ones. But yes, at the moment, um, PC and Mac on the Epic Games Store, and then consoles in the future. Okay. And what is, uh, can you, for the fans listening, can you give us any tease about what's coming next from Bithle Games? I cannot. I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's still, I mean, obviously, it's still very early for us. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got things we'll be, we'll be doing, but uh yeah, it's it, there's nothing really to, to show, unfortunately, or talk about. I mean, all right. And I guess my final question, and this is one I don't think you're gonna have the right answer for, but is there any way you can get a Keanu Reeves on, like, for one of these casts for me? Like, can I talk to uh, him about video games? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got off the phone with uh, him, so you know, it's yeah, I, can, I can't really pull that card twice. I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, folks, I try. For those of you listening right now, <laughs> so. I guess my final question for you, Nick, then, is for the fans or anybody listening, do you have anything you want to like say to the people who've been enjoying the game or something to wrap the cast up with? Um, I guess just thank you, honestly. It's uh, it's I'm, I'm really happy that people that people enjoy it and you know and, and get a lot of fun out of it. So yeah, thank you very much. All right, great. So with that said, for everybody listening, we're going to end the cast here. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you're watching this on the Game Wisdom site, YouTube channel, or anywhere else. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer. We have our Discord channel. It should be linked somewhere around where you're listening to. And for you, Nick, uh, do you have any social media you would like to plug right now? Um, yeah, if you just want to find me on Twitter, it's uh, Nick Tringali. It's N-I-C-T-R-I-N-G-A-L-I. All right. I think with that, we are about done. So once again, folks, thank you for tuning in. If you like support Game Wisdom, we have the Patreon, patreon.com slash And come back for our daily discussions on game design here and on Game Wisdom, where we're in the art and science of games. And last but not least, if you are a developer working on an upcoming or recent release game and want to talk about it or design, definitely feel free to get in touch. Otherwise, that's going to do it for this week's cast. And be sure to check out my first look video on John Wick Hex, which should be out probably before this cast goes up. So thanks again for tuning in, and I will see you next time for another discussion on game design.